You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Dan, I have a couple questions before we get started. Yeah, Joe. Um, What's your question, Number Joe? one, should mm-hmm. I, throughout this interview, should I play it cool or should I speak how my heart actually feels in the nerdiest musical theater way possible throughout this interview? Should I just like be like, cool, like welcome our guest and like not really, not really say that the first song I ever sang in a voice lesson was Dancing Through Life? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you might want to rein it in. That's, okay, great. that's <laughs> I just I just you might want to rein that in. Just like for your life, like um, <laughs> whether it's me or not. Just like like I don't know your dating situation or your marriage situation, but the, right. Yeah. Cool. Great. Dan- awesome. Dancing to- dancing through life uh, has not aged as well as other musical theater hits from wicked um that's a hot take and i couldn't disagree more oh really you dancing, think dancing through life is a bop well, why don't we get we'll get into all of that <laughs> shit man get into it. <laughs> we're off to a great start so an actor is saying his lines and then out of nowhere he just starts singing five six seven eight Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, sometimes Joe comes in hot with the like, hey, I'm obsessed with you. And then people are kind of like, um, Yeah, they're thanks. a little off put. Got it. Yeah. yeah. You Got know, it. Thanks. Yeah. So I'll just, I'm going to rein it in. Like you told rain me, it I'm going to just like... Very cool. Nice I was, to meet you. I was nice watching. Um, I was watching Waiting for Guffman again a couple of weeks ago, and like oh that moment where um, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara and uh, and and Fred Willard, she's talking to Christopher Guest, and she's like, "He's taught me to to bury all of my instincts, and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me." That's like what you were asking. <laughs> just just bury all your instincts, Joe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just Joe, just do next... me a favor. Don't be you. Right. Just Great. be someone else for a second. Great. We're going to be trying to be cool here. Not Very a big cool. deal. It's the first time we've had a two-time Tony winner on the show. It's just... We're so happy you're here. I'm we're sorry, so... that's too much. I'm going to take, take it back. <laughs> We're we're moderately <laughs> happy. So we're moderately here. happy that you're here. <laughs> we have loosely followed your career. Yes, very loosely. We have just a Seen couple, a couple of things you've done. Couple things you've done. Just you've a, done couple a couple questions. Things. Got it. And we have a couple um, questions. 
people, humans of the world, welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. <laughs> welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. Norbert Leo Butts is in the house. Wow. I'm this is crazy. House. Wow. You're in your house. And we're in I'm our houses. My, and you're here with us, people. <laughs> I am. Good morning, fellas. How are you? Good morning. We are so good. We are so, so we, good. Yeah. Fantastic. Trying to, trying to play it cool. Just trying to be cool. Just um, trying to be somebody else. Nice. Trying to be you're somebody all, else this morning. <laughs> because you're already I can't failing. Tell, you're already I failing. I know. I know. Because I can't tell my guest that he like made me want to get into musical theater in the first place. And that Easy. he completely changed. Sorry. Sorry. Easy. I no, again, no. Man. No, yeah, he, the, he no, likes to hear that, it. It's okay. that, that'll work for me today. I've had a very <laughs> low self-esteem morning. And uh, <laughs> so as you were saying, oh, Joe, continue. You, oh, I mean, listen, you told me at the start that I'm not allowed to do this, but I'll just jump in that that from I I have so many when you talk about the iconic moments of things you've seen you sitting in a Broadway theater, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Catch Me If You Can. I love dead accounts. Oh my god! I'm from. I'm, I'm born in. I w- I'm. I'm born in Dayton, Ohio. Really? So the whole Cincinnati, all the stuff from dead accounts. Like, mm. I have. I have been so blown away by you, by you and your career. And I mean, like I was joking about from at the at the top, like that wicked soundtrack. We still wear it out. That was what we all, you know, were, you know, twelve years old, ten years old, listening to that. Well, being like, I, Wait, I, I, I can, uh, I can let do me this. Stop you right there. Let me just yeah. stop you oh. right there. <laughs> Shit. It was going <laughs> well. It was going Damn well. It. I was. That's it for me. I was. That's all the time I have. I, I was feeling the love. <laughs> I was basking in the glow, and then this is what I get from Wicked from all of you guys, right? Who are like Shit. a generation or two younger than me. When I was eight years old, I had right. to do. I I had to do. Um, uh, a love scene uh, in a pilot for HBO. Um, it was my first um, gay male love scene, and I had never done that before. And uh, like really never done that before. It was a brilliant script, a great director, <clears throat> and a wonderful actor, and it was sensitively done, and I had to just go for it with this um, much younger man. And uh, there was some serious making out. There was some serious groping. Uh, I got through with the scene, this kid was about 21 years old. And after we got done hardcore making out, like beard burn all over my mouth, everything, he said, oh my God, I can't believe I just made out with the guy that I listened to when I was six years old on Wicked. And I felt oh like, God. I felt like oh, the grossest, sh- perviest, <laughs> most disgusting, I don't know, like, so all of you guys who are like, oh my God, when I was 12, you were my hero. Yeah. And then it just, that's where I got to stop you right there. Got it. Because, all right. So let's not bring that's age it. into it. All right, Joe. Sure. You got it. You sure. got it. You got it. Absolutely. <laughs> Very no. fair. Totally fair. Uh, um, continue with the, Dan, uh, the praise, though. Dan, was... I'll take it over to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just start. Let's. There's a lot of stuff to cover here, and I think it's, you know, I didn't know that you were the first replacement for Roger and Rent, which totally tracks. Totally tracks. Oh. Didn't know that, but I like as soon. Also, you know, knowing. Don't tell me. Don't tell me how old you fucking were <laughs> no, when I was definitely doing Don't. Definitely when I was in second grade. <laughs> when I was parents... born, Wicked <laughs> premiered. No, no, we're not that young, but. Um, <laughs> No, just thinking of of I would have tight I would have dreamcast you as Roger, 
And then when I was kind of digging back into your life, it's like, of course, that's where you started. And you were super young. And that was your I wasn't that super young. I I wasn't super young. And it's why I'm I think I'm older than anybody. You know, I just turned 54. So I think people are like, um, wow, I thought you were younger than that. Because I was kind of a late bloomer. Um, Mm. You know, rent, I I didn't even move to New York until I was 28. Because you went to grad school, right, in Alabama? I went to grad school, and I, I got married, and I was I was actually kind of heading toward like an academic career. Mm. Um, I, was, I was a performing actor uh, doing a lot of regional theater, but I also had a teaching gig at, at Auburn and mm. University down in, in Alabama. <clears throat> I had done my master's down at a place called the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. I know that is an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> Alabama and Shakespeare. It, it's, um, but um, yeah, so I was down there and, and that's what I thought I was going to do. I, was gonna, I had finished my master's and I was teaching and I was maybe, uh, and still sort of, like I said, doing professionals down at Alabama and Atlanta, my hometown of St. Louis, like, you know, equity shows with New York directors and great great plays, not musicals. I, I was really focused on like a, like a classical acting background. That's, mm. um, music, rock and roll, playing, gigging. That's all a part of my story too, separately from theater, like growing up as a kid in St. Louis and, and, and sort of being musical from a young age. Um, I kind of came in, came to New York with a, with a lot of musical, some skills, but my education is, is really all in, in theater and acting, um, mm. and no musical theater. So rent was my first professional musical. Um, wow. yeah, I had, and I had done, I don't know, 20, 25 professional productions by that point. I did do a production of big river at a regional theater, but I played Tom Sawyer who doesn't sing. He, he mm. just does the one song, give me a hand for the hog. Give me a, you know, and I had to do this, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to do that. I had to do the the bone, the hand boning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, rent was uh, just like right place at the right time. It really was like a zeitgeisty moment. That's exactly when I landed in New York. I had this kind of really diverse acting background, and then I was moonlighting really all through my twenties, undergraduate school, graduate school. Um, in bar bands, singing, uh, open mics. I did it. I busked. I lived for a year in Boulder, Colorado, and, mm. and busked on the Pearl Street Cafe. You know, um, mm-hmm. I busked um, in my hometown of St. Louis, and so I was. And I was starting to write songs, so I, I was really torn. I'm like, God, do I? Musical theater was like. I did the musicals in high school. They were the only plays we did. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But when I went, I went to Webster University for my BFA, <clears throat> and um, I they had me sing in my audition, and I was accepted into the musical theater program, and I was a musical theater major for a week, and uh, I think Do you I remember probably, what you sang. Um, I remember the monologues that I did, and that's so funny. Oh, yes, I sang a "Corner of the Sky" from Pippin because mm-hmm. my brother had done it. So my thing with musicals is. I'm one of 11 kids. I have seven brothers wow. and three sisters. And my oldest brother uh, did the high school musical. And I'm number seven. So I'm growing up and he's 10 years older than me. I'd go see all my older siblings in the school play. Very mm-hmm. Catholic, very, very strict Catholic background. So 
I always say I only know the musical if one of my siblings did it in high school and one of my siblings did Pippin and I'm like, you know, whatever, eight or nine. And <laughs> I just remember loving that song. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I sang that and I did musical theater for a, a week and it's, you know, I don't know what your guys' educational backgrounds, it's a double major, you know, it's, mm -hmm. you know, theory, voice, piano, but I was already a piano player. So I started playing piano when I was a real little, I was like 10 and studied pretty, you know, consistently till I was through with high school. So I was mm -hmm. a pretty solid piano player. I understood all theory. I was already singing and sort of doing vocal competitions in high school, actually studying like classical music, like, you know, the, the, the little Mozart and the Lieber and, and some of the, the art songs and singing and different. So I thought I would be like a, a, a music major, like a classical music major, maybe. Mm. Um, so when I got to college, I was like, I don't need to do all this music. I know all this. I felt way beyond the kids who were like, couldn't really even read music that well and like couldn't play the piano and couldn't really harmonize and weren't that great as singers. <clears throat> But I didn't, I didn't know shit about acting. I was like, oh, that's what I don't know about. I actually am a pretty confident musician. But um, so I switched. And so long story short, after doing, you know, being a singer really my whole life, it wasn't until I got to Rent. And Rent landed at a really fortuitous time for me because all like from 24, 23 till 28 when I moved to New York, I was getting really serious about like guitar playing and trying to write rock and roll and, mm. and, and kind of folk songs and kind of Americana stuff. I had a couple guys that I had a group with down in Alabama. So I'd been singing in bars and clubs um, like three or four nights a week. Like I do that after we would finish the play we were doing. Like we'd go and mm -hmm. do like the 11 to 3 a.m. slot. And so when I got to New York, I had this voice that could like, when you're singing in bars, your voice has to really cut through, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. a smoky crowd and, you know, people could still smoke inside. So I kind of had this, that, that edge or that grit or that non-musical theater sound. Mm -hmm. I had this kind of interesting tonal blend where, because of like kind of you know, I was a correct singer. I, I had really studied. I was actually studying privately from when I was 13, 14, 15 with like a classical music guy. But then my love of kind of like rock and roll and soul music and um, and even country um, added that kind of bar edge, I guess, mm -hmm. that, that bar band edge to my voice. And so it's, and that's what Rent was. They were looking for guys that could sing it technically right mm -hmm. eight times right. a week because right. that shit is so hard um and and what had happened the uh, anthony rap and adam pascal were both um, i moved to new york after redhead opened about three months before i moved to new york um their voices were really really shot you know they had the off broadway and then the record mm -hmm. and then this huge you know it was the hamilton of right the, yeah. the time and their voices were really um, taking a beating because those guys, you know, a Adam and, and Daphne and, and even Adina, none of them had theater backgrounds. You know, none of them right. had that eight show a week. They were true rock and pop singers. So I don't know. I just had the right mix. And so I got really lucky and I was Adam and Anthony's, I was Adam's um, standby. So I did Sundays and Wednesdays for him. 
Mm. And then, and I was just an offstage. That's called a standby, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then six months into that contract, the original member, uh, Gilles Chasson, who played Squeegee Man, <laughs> left the show. <laughs> so then I was the Squeegee Man and then did Roger every Sunday night. And, um, and then they started having me cover Mark. <clears throat> so Rent got really nutty for me because I was Squeegee Man. And then I was kind of the first cover for Anthony Adan up. So I would do like Mark in the afternoon and Roger at night and singing wow. those harmonies opposite myself. Wow. Was really, really tricky. <laughs> <laughs> like, where am I? Yeah. Anyway, that was a long answer. But yeah, Rent was, was really pivotal for me. It was, I got stupid lucky. I got that show six weeks after landing in the city. The, wow. the, the biggest show in 20 years on Broadway, an open contract. Uh, I was a really valued company member because I, because of the regional theater background, I was, I was flexible. I was malleable. I could do a lot of different stuff. And then the vocal shops I had. And so I stayed there for a long time. And uh, that was a year and 10 months I did that show. You know, I already had a baby. And we got pregnant with our second. And um, so I was like, oh, that was a big change in my mind is that this thing that I thought I was going to be like an academic and try to scrape together, oh shit, you can make a living doing this. And I went from like no money to making more money than my dad and mm -hmm. having to figure out how to protect myself eight times a week and do that shit. So it was, it was huge for me, that show. And everything in my career, I always, I always talk about rent probably more than anything else because everything truly, if I track back, has just kind of flown, flowed from that that first gig. I mean, I really do mean that. It's just, you know, I was in Rent and then uh, Rob Marshall and Sam Mendes were putting together the first national tour cabaret after Alan Cumming had done it on Broadway. And I got that tour and that's what made me leave Rent. And then, the, you know how, you know how it goes. It's just right. like, right. it's an, it's an accumulation of trying to, to, to do the gig in front of you as best you can and, and hope that it snowballs. And yeah. Mm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It feels that looking back at th those rent people, I mean, this is probably jumping forward quite a bit, but but the Wicked experience when that started, had were you, did they just ask you to do a reading or something? Or did or you, like you had, I have, a, I have kind of a specific question. Did you do yeah. that first universal <clears throat> reading in LA with Gavin no. Creel? No, no, no. I think I was the last person literally uh, hired for Wicked in New York. Uh, I, 
<laughs> it's so interesting with Wicked. Like, again, that just totally came from, I was doing last five years, actually. Right. Um, at the Minetta Lane downtown. And Joe Mantello came to see it. And, um, and I got sent a script uh, for an audition for the San Francisco, the, the out of town. And it, funnily enough, um, I had read the novel Wicked. I don't think many people actually had. I had actually read it a few years before while I was in Rent. Hmm. Girl who played Mimi opposite me, lovely, lovely woman named Marcy Harriel. Um, she took over for Daphne. I took over for Adam. And um, she was uh, a really avid reader. And so was I. So we trade books back and forth. And she handed me Gregory Maguire's Wicked like 90, 1997 or something, like three or four years before it, it was even, you know, an idea or that I knew it was an idea. And it's that book really blew me away. I remember stopping and starting it a few times. It's super dense. And I'm not like, I don't do a lot of uh, sort of, you know, sci-fi or fantasy or any of that kind of stuff. I don't know if you guys have read the novel, but it's it's a slaw. It's brilliant, but it's dense, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, McGuire, like a lot of great fantasy, he creates uh, different realities, kind of a new language. He creates new cultures and new mm -hmm. ethnicities and... and uh, uh, the plot is really, really, uh, it's, it's amazing. So I had this really strong image in my mind about Wicked. It was this really, really subversive novel about, you know, fascism and mm. a lot of things. When I got the script for Wicked, it was not nearly done. Um, it, I think all I got were sides first and maybe like act one. And I remembered like not really liking it. I remember, <laughs> I, I remembered going, I just, I, I passed on the audition. Wow. So this would have been 2000 and when was the last five years? Maybe 2001. 2002, 2001. 2001. 2001. It was right after 9-11. So right. yeah. Uh, maybe like winter of 2002. Sure. Um, wow. And I, I remember passing on it um, just because I was like, I, I can't really do much with this. I think they just need kind of like a, kind of a stud muffin kind of a guy there wasn't really anything on the page hmm. and so i passed um and then like full disclosure like um then i went through some uh, you know some personal uh, some tough times my wife and i split up and <clears throat> i had two small kids and um last five years closed early um another musical i had done was a big bomb called thou shalt not um i had done a couple tv things and i it was a real fallow period for me. I'm like, I need a job. I really needed a job. So they came back around and asked me to audition again several months later. And that time I went in um, and I read with, um, I read with Kristen and Adina. <clears throat> wow. And, um, and Dee and I were already friends from Rent. So that felt real good. And yeah. uh, Kristen and I just sort of hit it off. It was kind of like a chemistry read. And, th and they hired me uh, for San Francisco. Um, none of us had Broadway contracts, though. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess the girls did, but I didn't. Um, and, uh, you know, I just thought I was going to be fired all the time. It, it was, mm. it was the, the show was, was kind of a mess in San Francisco, um, as, as all shows are. 
when they're right. th those big behemoths, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it was over long, it was unfocused. Uh, the supporting characters were really getting lost in translation. Um, they, you know, I, <laughs> I had fought for, you know, Fierro in the book, um, is actually, uh, he's, he's not a leading man. He's, he's, a he's a, a much sort of darker, uh, stranger character. So what they did for the musical was they combined two characters, kind of this college vapid party boy who he became, but Fierro in the book is actually, um, this winky prince, um, who's from, uh, uh, and Winky would have been um, sort of a strange kind of um, mm. Eastern influenced culture. So he's he had in the book uh, tattoos all over his face. Um, he he spoke a different language. Um, so he had this really weird dialect. He was extremely shy. Um, the girls loved him because he was like sort of mysterious and mm. he, just, he looked like a bad boy, but it was more a cultural sort of fear of him. Mm. Um, and he's this sort of quiet, troubled, um, uh, sort of magnetic kind of charismatic stranger that comes to Shiz University. Um, and I, I can do strange, um, but I, I don't do sort of like typical, you know, like I, I'm just not that dude, you know, I'm mm -hmm. five, eight. I look like fucking John C. Riley's <laughs> younger, dumb brother, you know, um, <laughs> As, as one reviewer <laughs> kindly said in my uh, one of my rent uh, uh, reviews, they came to re-review the show, uh, and this is when you have to start thinking about not reading your reviews. But uh, oh Norbert God. Butts sings the role uh, amazingly well uh, with an operatic fervor and a, uh, something something tenor. Uh, unfortunately, he has a face for the radio, though. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> So the, can I know, tell you something, look, Norbert? Oh, that would have oh, been man. the end for Joe. If Joe gets that, that review, no, he's, yo, he's listen, out. <laughs> listen, there was I, I, I've talked about this on this show before, though. There, do never. I, I was in Frozen with Patty Murin, and Patty Murin says that that reading, um, like uh, blog posts, like the Broadway World or or uh, YouTube mm. comments, is like yeah. emotional cutting. Oh, totally. And, yeah, and and there was a. There was a YouTube comment after I did a, a, a Today Show thing when I was in Cinderella, and I read like the, a couple horrible things about myself, like doing ten minutes ago on the Today Show, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god!" Oh yeah, people hate. It. And then like I think it was Dan and my you know wife and friend were like, "Don't listen, don't you don't, turn it off, turn what off the comments, know? don't read, don't read the reviews." Well, like anyway, it's so funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one thing, like getting on the chat rooms and doing that shit, but. Yep. I'm always of the philosophy where it's like people are like, oh, don't read, you don't ever read your reviews. I've developed this, tried to develop this process where I don't actually read them, but I need to know what they're about. Are we going to have a fucking run or not? Right, you know, right, so right, my agent right. or manager calls, I've done this for years. They'll call on opening night and be like, you're going to have a nice run or it's oh. not going, or it's not going our way. You know, right, um, right. I don't. Right. Who who wants to sit and have the stress of like you know, do, uh, you know, are they terrible? Um, anyway, right, right. Uh, so, so Wicked was an interesting thing. So in San Francisco, I was kind of advocating for that that weirdo that I read in the book, and I think there's a couple of pictures online of me with this. The I uh, I, I really fought hard to get this 
tattoo. I, but in the huge theater, it was very sort of Mike Tyson-y looking. Um, sure. It was, <laughs> yeah. and in the theater, it just looked like, like I had like, I looked like the elephant man as Fiero. It was like a sort of a, <laughs> mm-hmm. a, a scarring kind of, yeah. Um, yep. And so they were like, get rid of the makeup. And then the song wasn't working. His first big song uh, was this song called Which Way Is The Party? And um, it, it wasn't working. And uh, and so I remember we were in our final weeks of preview and Stephen Schwartz uh, invited me over to his apartment on a Saturday morning. And he had three different song ideas for wow. a replacement. And wow. he was like, this is it one and he played me the song i'm like that's cool he's like i'm going for a hollow note sound here and then he played another one and then he played he goes this is the one i really like and he goes uh i think he had used a a, a riff from the police from every little thing she does is magic it's it's kind of, that's what gives it that slightly yeah. kind of off not reggae but he's kind of going for like a ska type of a yeah a, a, yeah, bou- got, a bouncy got, kind of riller yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and I, I liked it right away. And so we put that into the show. Like, that's how out of times are, right? Like, they put this new song in with, like, four performances left. Um, wow. But, right. Um, yeah, so so Wicked was tricky. And then I thought, I, oh, I would be fired. Like, hmm. half the cast was replaced. And I was like, I'm going to be fired. Because um, they never quite, the rewrites were so constant, you know. Um, so it was... Wicked was a real challenge because it was the, f- I hadn't worked on anything that scale before. Rent tripped into, through tragedy, tripped into being the, and, and the, the, obviously the quality of the songs um, made it what it was. Wicked was sort of like built from the ground up and it's you guys know it's like that's really yeah. really hard to get those huge huge shows well together. i was gonna ask because i remember yeah. i remember the interviews from like the san francisco and from i remember when it was opening on broadway and people were saying it was the most expensive musical ever made at that point right and the you know kind of people were betting against them because it was this behemoth but i, I was wondering if you knew that the show would be successful at all while you were there because obviously you're only there for a year or two in the beginning did you know yeah. it would still be playing 25 years later at that point no, no um i thought we were looking at like an epic epic bomb and um <laughs> i really did because it, yeah. it, it in a lot of ways those two women are so f- ridiculously unique and incredible they were going to be fine no matter what happened to the show. They were both, their talent was so obvious. Um, but we know that, uh, you know, a great show, it, it, it just can't be built. It can't survive on just one tour de force at, at, in the middle mm-hmm. of it. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, 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 it can't last. And, and to the producer's credit, they kept on working and working and working and mm-hmm figuring out that balance between the girls. I think what happened with Wicked was that it became a show about sort of uh, uh, empowerment for young girls through friendship and that type of thing. Um, 
and and that's really not what the book is about. The the, the, the in the book, Glinda is a is a very uh, very supporting role. It's a big political allegory, but like mm. I said, really dense, way more heady. Um, mm. And so yeah. Mark Platt, I think he did a great job. You know, because you know he knew he was going to have to to market this somehow. And so um, so I do think that the supporting characters did eventually did sort of get sacrificed for mm -hmm. um that central conflict storyline you know, yeah. good girl good girl bad good girl bad girl um uh storyline um yeah. so it was in some ways in wicked i just felt hamstrung all the time i, I kept wanting to do more and the role kept getting smaller and <clears throat> sort mm -hmm. of less um specific and and then it what it really did just want was just like you know a, a tall great looking guy who could fill out those white pants and you know <laughs> sing sing the notes so i always felt like an i always felt like a dickhead i felt like a, such an asshole and wicked i'm like you know uh I, you know i'm a character actor so if someone's like you know your job is to to look good i'm just a nervous wreck because mm. as i said you know I'm kind of, you know, I'm like two points higher than like a Danny DeVito, really, at the end of the day, when you think about it. Like, oh, man. No, I mean, let's like fucking call a spade a spade. No. Like, it's like, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I am what I am. You know, I'm like a short, stubby, you know, um, balding. I Listen, I love myself. Don't get me wrong. Don't, <laughs> don't not hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> but, uh. I always, always felt sort of uh, like the, the like the leading man, you know, like romantically. I just always felt like such an idiot doing those parts, and so mm. I, I felt well, I think you're such a. Go yeah. ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Dan. No, I was just gonna say you're you're like from everything that you've told us, it, it, you're like a rock star at heart, though. You're also like you're an actor who is a. It feels like you know music is such a part of you. But also, like you're you're a character actor. There's that adage that like every leading man wants to be a character actor. <laughs> they get to play better parts and stuff. But I mean, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Then coming a few years ish later, I would imagine yeah, well, see, that, that that feels like you get to embrace everything that is character and also technically, yeah. you know, like lead the show. Yeah, I mean, you know, before we started this conversation, just saying, uh, everything really has has just you know, organically led to the next thing. I got Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because I only did Wicked for two weeks after we opened. I had a serious neck injury. I ruptured two discs in my neck on stage at the Gershwin. I had to have a an emergency spinal fusion. I have, I have a titanium Whoa. rod and six screws that keep my neck attached to my thoracic spine. <laughs> yeah, that, I got seriously injured during Wicked and um, and was out for three months. And in that three months, um, they had replaced me with Tay Diggs, and I was feeling much, much better. I had all this time to kill, um, and I got the call about doing the workshop of Dirty Rotten, and it was a week-long workshop, and I just had a ball. It was my first time meeting Jack O'Brien. Um, mm -hmm. Sherry Scott and I were great friends, obviously, from doing... Um, last yeah. five years and and rent together it just felt like kind of coming home and see yeah and so like i was telling you about that whole time in my 20s when i was in doing regional theater i was doing i did a lot of comedies i did like mm. and like even like 
classic farces. Like in graduate school, we had to do Moliere and mm-hmm. Fado and 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 those types of things. We had commedia classes and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was yeah, man, it's one big vaudeville riff. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, very improvisational and in, in nature, um, you know, kind of a no holds barred farce. And I was up yeah. for it, man. I, I, I think I responded to it so strongly because I felt so hamstrung and wicked. I'm like, fuck, I want to, I want to contribute, man. I want to like have an effect on the play. You know, I felt like I just didn't have any effect on wicked. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I think that was like a lot of bottled up ambition and a lot of like, um, uh, and I had a great director and, and great, great uh, fellow actors. So that was, that was just a gift, man. And I was just ready to go for it. And uh, uh, when the workshop went so well, they offered me the, the out of town and, and the Broadway contract. So I had to actually leave Wicked a couple, just a few weeks early. They let me out of my contract so I could go to, and then I, so it's interesting about Wicked. It's by far the most famous thing I've ever been a part of mm-hmm. in terms of stage work. Um, but it's the shortest time I've ever performed anything. So I did San wow. Francisco. We did wow. a month of previews. I broke my neck. I was out for three months. I was My contract was only 10 months to begin with. So I only did that show really for like six months. I, mm. I came back after my injury. And then I, I left to go do Dirty Rotten. So Wicked wow. is interesting to me because I... I didn't do it for very long, but I did meet my wife <laughs> doing that show. And so Wicked was really, here was the great thing about Wicked. Um, it, it was a lot of drama, you know, a lot of drama. And uh, the money, the expectations, all of it, right? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. the creative team that really struggled to to find out what it was. And I I meet this girl who just, you know, knocks the wind out of my sails. We had a mutual friend from college that sort of reintroduced us. Um, and then we found ourselves on the first day of Wicked together. I was uh, in the middle of a divorce and we became great friends. And then we just fell wildly in love. So Wicked for us was like so delightful because we just stayed in our own little cocoon, you know, <laughs> in, you know, kind of in each other's dressing rooms on two show days and ordering food. And just like that heady time of falling in love. And we didn't have to go to the Tonys. We we never got asked to do the press stuff. We it was mm. sort of great. We just got to have a old fashioned hot showmance, and it was <laughs> it was That's awesome. Good absolutely, stuff. it was. It got me through that whole experience. Yeah. So here we are, fourteen years married later, and a ten year old daughter. Brilliant. So, wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's that's amazing. Well, I just on to, just back to you know I'm not allowed to nerd out. I've done pretty well for the last half an hour yeah. ever since I I started <laughs> off cool. really horribly. I've been missing but, it um, a little bit actually. Just uh, that Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I I got a I got a rush ticket to see it. I didn't know anything about it. I sat in like the second row or wherever, like one of these really you know first row, second row, and just the experience of like what I knew of musical theater. I, I didn't know that contemporary musical theater could be funny in that way. I didn't know that, the, that like, you know, for me, it was the high school shows and it was the classics or it was whatever. Right. And to see you guys just, especially, and it makes sense that it was improvisatory because you're just like, you're up there. It was unbelievable fun. And one of my, I would say top 
five or ten moments in a theater just watching uh, you run around like like a rock star comedian. So I I'm will, done. I'm done. I will I'm done. never I'm done. forget I'm done. the 2005 Tonys was like a sh- yeah. a beacon in my from from here where I am now yeah. back yeah. there yeah. is a straight nice. line. Like I remember that. It's spam a lot, scoundrels, piazza, spelling bee. I remember your performance. The first it was in that wasn't wasn't that an incredible year for best musical nominations? Really amazing year. I felt really super honored to be in there. And I actually still yeah. remember watching your performance on the Tonys. <laughs> yeah, man, scoundrels was a huge growing, um, ex- you know, experience for me. I don't know if you guys have worked with. Jack O'Brien or a director yeah. like that. Yeah, I Dan did that. Yeah, I did that Sound of Music tour. Okay, yeah. yeah. So like you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. you know how I guess here's what I would say you um Joe you were talking about kind of like the freedom that we had and because I I wasn't really trained on musicals, I don't think I had in my mind a way that they're supposed to work or a mm. way that you're um I I uh so so maybe that kept me from maybe certain tropes or I, I don't know. Um, but also having a director like Jack, who was the artistic director of the old globe. Right. And so mm-hmm. he had done and with this huge, huge, huge resume of a ton of classical work and new plays and language plays. And I kind of come from that same world. We have a director like that who is so smart and he would kick my ass. He was really hard on me. Yeah. He doesn't because- let you go. He He's doesn't. Like, that let wasn't you go. a good show, was it? And you're like, one hundred percent. Even yeah. more than that, he would come into my dressing room and say, "I am not having you." <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, "You need to step up." That's what he would say to me. <laughs> Norbert, you gotta step up. Um, oh wow. And what he meant by that was he was so right on in a farce like a crazy comedy like that, even think of great movie comedies. They're not super funny for the first half hour, 45 minutes. You can't get out there being like, look at me, I'm funny, I'm funny, I'm funny. Mm-hmm. He would be like, you're not funny. The play is funny. You're not funny. Right. He would really come down hard if you were gilding the lily. He He's mm-hmm. super smart about winding the jack-in-the-box. So, and, and this is true of all classic farces, like, again, like a Moliere, Fado, Noises Off. Think of the great farces. It's all set up, set up, set up, set up. Yep. You got to know the characters. You got to believe in the stakes of the play. You got to yep. really believe these are real people in a real situation. Then you can blow it all to hell when people have to pursue the money, the, the girl, the sex, the power, the right. whatever, right? Right. Um, but it's set up, set up, set up. So his understanding of the architecture of of how a comedy works was he was real strict about that if you laugh i i started to to be able to get all these laughs right you get a laugh and then you christian borel is the best at this of anybody right you can get a laugh then you can get a laugh before the next line then you can get a third laugh before you know what i'm saying you can uh-huh. just uh, kristen chenoweth these type of genius comedic actors and i could do that too and i was starting to do that and jack would come and kick my ass because mm. laughter is a release so mm. in a, it, in a farce yeah you got a rope of tension every time you laugh it loosens it in a farce you got to ratchet 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 you can let it go 
naturally. And the script was so funny, we didn't have to fuck around too much with it. Like it right. was like the, 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 Yazbek's lyrics. I mean, like every other line is hilarious, you know? Yeah. Same thing with Jeffrey Lane. So if you're adding on, on top of that, it dragged his whole show down. And I really right. learned, um, and it was a steep learning curve for me. I have a really addictive personality and getting laughs can be a kind of chemical buzz. Um, totally. And I, and I really got, uh, felt um, uh, victim to that. And he, he shaped me up, man, and got it to the point where there was a balance of he, he, he understood uh, the kind of maniacal lengths that we were going to, the characters were going to, but he kept me in line. And, and I think it, it, it just saved my ass in that show. I give all the credit to Jack in that show. Yeah. He's such a genius. When I, when I booked that job, we were playing softball with, uh, with Aaron Tveit, and he was like, just do yourself a favor, and when you sit down for those group note sessions, just record them. Because he's gonna drop some kind of ten minute like monologue about the mystical, the you know the mystery <laughs> of being an actor that's gonna change your life, and he did that every day, and all he the was time, so good. I mean, and he was teaching in my show ten year olds how to act. It was unbelievable. Like he, uh, he's he the best. He didn't. It wasn't so much that he could teach our company how to act, but what he could do was offer um, metaphors. Mm that were so useful to me. He had, that would crack me up. He had this idea early on and, um, he would say, I want everyone to feel like they're in the wrong play. In other words, mm. I've come on to the play and I think I'm in, I think I'm doing Glenn Gary, Glenn fucking Ross, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in a mammoth play. And I keep looking around going, isn't this the right play tonight? But it's dirty, rotten scoundrels, right? And so you're trying to figure out why did I rock, walk into the wrong space? Um, or like, uh, you know, uh, Joanna Gleason playing the like super airhead rich lady. He was like, iconic. I want, like, iconic, right? He was like, I want you to feel like you're in Tennessee Williams' Summer and Smoke, like a, a dramatic, <laughs> tortured, you're in Summer and Smoke, and you walked in to do the play, and you're on the wrong fucking stage, and how did I how did I get, where are we? And that's funny. That's right. a funny, so funny idea to pursue. Right. And it keeps you real honest. It keeps you real active. And right. it right. Was, so it was stuff like that with Jack. I was like, oh, right. And then, you know, too, Dan, like, because of his, his classical background, he would be like, you're, you're stressing the wrong word here. Right. He, he would say, if you stop in the line here, you got to drive it through to the end. Yep. So I actually have Jack come and see anything I do. Like I had Jack come and see My Fair Lady to help me out with, I mean, Bart Shear doesn't need any help. He's amazing. Sure. But whenever Jack comes, I say, come in. And he would say, it's all great. in this one speech you've got, I missed the, because what's the point you're trying to make? You're, that's right. the target word is at the end of the line. You're taking two pauses before you get there. That kind of knowledge wow. from a director is gold, man. Yeah. It's gold. I don't want anybody to tell me when to fucking move, how to say a line, what my character is. I've done all that work. I'm a smart actor. I know what my fucking job is. I need help to make it better than I'm ever going to make it on my own. And that's who Jack is. He just Absolutely. Yeah.
And it's that technical stuff too that's like almost of a different era. Like it's not realism. It's really a different thing that we don't do well, as much anymore. Totally, yeah. totally. I've worked with mostly really good directors, but you guys know this. It's like if you don't have anything use really useful for me, it's it's just better if you leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Like like offer useful things or get out of my way. Right. And and Jack is just all useful things, everything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, this is so good, man. Are we done? Are we done <laughs> are you yet? Done? Are you out? Yeah, we, we got, oh, okay. Can, mommy, can yes. I go home now? You can absolutely go home. <laughs> I'm is so sorry. Is it lunchtime? Is, is it snack, is, is it snack this, break yet? <laughs> Dan, this is my nightmare. The guest wants to, the guest wants to, he wants to um, leave. Okay. Oh boy. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In all seriousness, we just, there, there is a question that, that Dan and I, are both really interested in um, just the the transition and the and the work from stage to screen. Um, did you? I think that you. I, I want to make sure that this is true before I just jump into it. But did you work with Bob Krakauer? Uh, no. Bob Krakauer, the film coach. Yes. Oh, very very briefly. Um, mm -hmm. Just one or one or two sessions. Yeah. I I. Uh, not just Bob, something else I think I've done in my career that I think is kind of rare. And I think it's because I was an acting teacher for a few years before I became a professional actor. Um, and I thought that's what I was going to be. I, when I, even when I was in rent, um, even up until like last year, I still take acting classes. And so, mm. um, I think I have kind of <laughs> studied or or, or done classes uh, with a lot. I just like when I was rent, I was doing classes at HB Studios. I just like, I, I'm interested. It, it, it fascinates me. So yeah, I did a, like a weekend with Bob or a day um, and, and got a lot of, a lot out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, because we're both sort of, Dan and I are both disciples of his in this way, but you know, making the transition from theater to, to screen. Yeah. And, it seemed like at least the story that Bob tells, he was like, you went in, you got into the class and had not done a lot of TV at this right. point, but had already done an enormous amount of theater and won a Tony award and been nominated and, and various things that like there was, there was something in this medium of pictures that he talks about that sort of unlocked a world for you that then led to more TV work in the way that like, you know, I mean, we could nerd out about bloodline. We can, you know, all of these things uh. that you've done, but I mean, yeah. what was that, that did, did something, was there a light that turned on or a shift I, that, that really opened that for you? I do. Bob is an excellent teacher. Um, and I knew that even from doing like, you know, I think we worked 
you know, a few hours uh, uh, over the weekend together, but I watched a lot of people work and mm. uh, I, I did get on and I, I did learn a lot from him in that short time. Um, I don't, he wasn't teaching me anything new. I think right away I reconnected with what I already knew about the camera, which is um, yeah. the, um, the, the way that it doesn't lie in the way that when mm-hmm. we're on stage, you know, I had a great movement teacher in college who, who always used to say the body doesn't lie. So like an actor walks on stage and like, how, what is that sixth sense that we have that an actor walks on stage and you're like, I don't believe that actor. I don't believe that. Like, you don't even know them from Adam. You're like, that actor's not in the right play or, Oh God, look at that actor has that terrible um, spine thing. Is that a character choice? Oh God, I don't think, I think that's something with that actor. Like the body doesn't lie or somebody walks out for an audition and how can we smell the fear? In their body right mm-hmm. we see them not breathing mm-hmm. and the same thing with the camera although it has to do with the eyes you know it it just will pick up every every falsehood every single one mm-hmm. right. <laughs> um, right right and so it, 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 bob t- t- talked a, l- a lot about that and it gets it all gets back to this greater idea of um of listening um which is yeah. really right, listening and, and reacting. And I guess I just maybe always was doing that on, on stage. I and mean, I don't know how to explain it. But I was not natural on a camera and the learning curve. You guys, there are so many fucking terrible pilots out there that nobody has seen that I have done. There are so <laughs> many commercials that are like hopefully running in like Dubai that nobody <laughs> will ever see. There are a thousand on camera auditions that I would be mortified if anybody saw. The thing about working on camera that's really tough, like think about it, like when we were in college and doing some, you're on stage every day, every day your body is learning how to exist in this medium. With camera work, especially when we do theater, it's like every few months or a couple times a year, you get to like do a guest. There's no day in and day out just to get familiar with that fucking thing to demystify it. And um, I think that the change that really started to happen, I think it was bloodline because that was the first time. I mean, look, I, I had always, like everybody else, I, I booked the law and order once a year or, mm-hmm. you know, the guest spot at a commercial or, um, and every time you get back on a set, you, you just feel like a dickhead all over again. Like, what? What am I doing again? <laughs> because, is, right, like, it's been so right. long. You're like, uh, what do I do? Right. And after Big Fish bombed, I, I really did a, like a, a kind of a reassess of, of, of just sort of the, the Broadway paradigm of, you yeah. know, workshop, out of town, workshop wait around for six months, workshop, you know, yeah. do the show, yeah. bomb, bomb, close, move out of the theater, close, <laughs> right. you know? Oh my God. Um, and, uh, and that started to not really work for me anymore. I've got three kids and, and all the rest of it. Um, and I had been turning down, like s- seriously considering TV work that didn't shoot in New York. If something shot in New York, I would try to book it, but I was, ter- I was saying no to almost everything. And I finally just like have the guts. And I said yes to bloodline after I, you know, I did a couple of auditions. I, I luckily got hired and I remembered it was my wife and I, you know, 
three seasons, five to six months each, living in Florida, flying back and forth and back and forth, you know. And it was doable. And the great thing about it, it was way out of my comfort zone. And I was really out of my comfort zone on that set. I'm working with like major, major movie and TV geniuses, you know. And here's me like, you know. And I, I had such a huge learning curve. It was like the biggest learning curve for me working on a set being so disciplined from the theater so like the crew used to make fun of me on bloodline because it'd be like picture up and and there would be norbert like ready to act like ready and no other fucking actors are even close to thinking about coming to the set yet like ben mendelson would have this thing where he'd be in his trailer he played a lot of video games to kind of sissy spacek was brilliant but she she moves really slow uh they're all so slow they they would come and kind of I thought they would be mumbling their lines. I remember whenever I would do a scene with Sissy um, or Linda Cardellini, <laughs> they speak so quietly that they're like the super yeah. quiet actor. And I've got this fucking, you know, <laughs> voice, right? And they would always be like, so what do you think I'm going to do this thing tomorrow night? I'd be like, what? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Can we cut? I didn't hear the line. She'd be like eight inches from me. And it'd be like, do you really think I'm you know, she's wearing a lavalier mic. Right. But what I learned, and I, I think a lot of theater actors think that TV and film actors are, you know, I don't know, entitled or not skilled. It couldn't be further from the truth. What I learned from those actors, taking their time, getting to set, saying, wait a minute, we'll go when I'm ready. They take back the space. Right. The camera needs, a, you guys know this too, a total relaxation even if it's a pumped up energetic scene right that that mental relaxation and so kyle sissy uh, sam shepherd these these brilliant they understood the camera so well and they understood this idea that the camera comes to them we show up in the theater on the front foot like i'm gonna right. i'm gonna put this on camera they don't they meander onto the set you know start rolling uh, well, let's go again. Let's go in. They keep it like this. And what we were trained like, like Russians were like, let's, let's nail the scene. Let's do it 20 times. Let's do it full out every time. And what I was missing was starting the scene, owning the space, um, taking a real big, um, real big pause. Because remember I said the camera doesn't lie. So all that extraneous nervous movement, right? Too much moving, touching your face, you know, camera doesn't want all that, right? Mm -hmm. It it doesn't need all that. It needs, it needs, needs the truth. It needs what the writer has given you and the most direct way to do it. Mm -hmm. Anything else it doesn't want. So it was a big learning curve. And, Mm -hmm. and I felt, uh, you know, in the theater, we're, we're tuned like a metronome, you know, it's half an hour, copy that 15 minutes, got right. it, places, everybody places, yeah. do you your know, job now, do your job yeah. now, you know, you don't like think about coming down the stairs at five after places, but on right. film sets, um, because we, we do, we have to bring it out there to that audience, but a camera, you bring it to you. Mm-hmm. I'm still really learning my way around this, but, um, and then the other thing in the theater, we run a marathon, you know, Mm-hmm. And right, and the in cam and TV work or film work, it's sprinting. Mm-hmm. So it's not that those actors aren't incredibly skilled; they are able to hyper focus um, for 
for for very short periods at a time, like real focused, right? Um, and then walk away from it. I did a movie with Steve Carell years ago, and watching him between takes was he's he's not a funny guy. He's not a, a, a wild and crazy guy. He's really really he's a great guy, really sweet, but he's very internal. He would have these days. He's in every frame of the film. Between takes, he's not cutting up. He sits. He's not like super weird about it, but he just sits and modulates his internal clock. You know what I'm saying? In the theater, yeah. we're like jumping around backstage. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a different thing. It's like what an Olympic sprinter does, you know, before going up, just like focus, stillness, breathing, so that he could get on and then he would fucking kill it every take he would be so funny but mm. he's not spending any energy between those takes he's right. chill internal um focused um kind of builds a bubble around him and most of us theater actors we show up on sets like i'm so i'm so fucking happy to be making some money i better right. and i and i and i want to do good and i want to do more of this god let there be more of this and i'm right. going to nail it every time and that's the absolute wrong way to start Right, totally. Yeah. Oh my God, that wow. is. Can we write Dan? a book based off of this interview? Can we just <laughs> well, like of advice? Good. Uh, uh, if you would ghost write it for me, yeah. Hey, listen. I, you just dictated it for the last like like there you, you know go. this the, this last hour. You dictated it. Yeah, we well, have, have AI for these. that. I can just plug uh, it into exactly. a program. Are or, we already or, or the social media hour? intern? We're at know? an hour. We at, we're at an hour. Yeah. Fucking A. See, here's the thing about the podcast. If you just jump on and do all the talking, that shit is over like so <laughs> quick. Like, <laughs> oh my God. No, this was awesome. If we could just like sneak Holy in a couple shit. of our tried and trues, just because I 100%. think that they're valuable. What would you describe as your greatest challenge in your career? And you can, it doesn't have to be a long answer, whatever. You oh, want. yeah, that's super easy. The greatest challenge in my career has has been parenting parenting mm. um parenting and and adulting and mar and marriage and finding the sweet spot between having this crazy life of a of a of a wandering <laughs> player <laughs> <laughs> and uh and trying to find consistency and um and yeah consciousness while, while you're parenting it's a hard it's a hard balance to strike um we in in this business you know we we finish a show <laughs> especially if it's something like dirty rotten scoundrels or you know something high energy we come home we're up you know we've had people throwing roses at our feet and you know praising us and you know and or not or writing terrible things about you as joe as you've mentioned you've had some <laughs> not so nice things written about you i have definitely had my share so you have the, all this stuff in your mind right all this adrenaline all these chemicals and then it's seven o'clock the next morning and you know you've got a kid who has not done their math homework mm -hmm. and will not eat breakfast and it's raining and oh fuck i have an audition at three who's going to get the kid like mm. 
I guess in a way, I guess, and I'm learning to get better at this, this, I don't know, I guess the word is multitasking or, or sort of compartmentalizing. I used to be completely captured when I was working on something in my career, like totally captured. I, I love that about what we do. I love having a part and getting lost in it, all the research and just nerding out on everything. I just love it. I love the whole process. And we're churning that stuff all day long. You know, you start getting ready for your show from the minute you wake up, right? What's mm -hmm. left in the voice today? And <laughs> what am I going to eat? And should I, what kind of exercise should I do today? And uh, God, I got to get that scene right tonight. So it's all there. How do you balance that with like your kids? It's so crucial that they have you, you know, that they have you present. So, yeah. um, finding that balance, man, has been, has been the, the trickiest part, I suppose. Hmm. Not to mention just like the financials, just like, Oh right. God, how do I make this work? You know, totally. I, I got to take this gig because uh, I don't really like this material, but then this is, I just have, I have one through college, one in college, and then a 10 year old. So it's like, you know, it's a lot of that, you know, it's adulting. Yeah. Scary, totally. scary for me to look at 11 Broadway shows, two Tony wins and a couple nominations <laughs> and dozens of TV shows and thinking that you're still worried about money. So I'm getting a little cautious, um, to be honest. Um, uh, also, just quickly, what, what advice yeah. would you have for your young self for, for oh, if you could go back? I love this question. My advice to my younger self or to any young actor is do not take anyone's advice um <laughs> to your younger self fuck advice is what is my advice and i mean that sort of facetiously but sort of not one thing a lot of actors are including me to our core are people pleasers we are like a dancer with a a russian master teacher or like a martial arts student with your sensei or us with our directors, right? We, um, especially when we're young, how many times did somebody say to you, you know what I think you should do? You know the types of roles I see you playing? Do you know, here's what you need to do. You need, I'm gonna give you a name of somebody and I think you should do that. What I, and I would do that. I would be like, oh, this, I wanna be like that so I should do what they said. I was so susceptible, I think, to advice. Um, and malleable too, wanting to please different people. And there has to come a time when you're like, I don't know what the right fucking thing to do is. I don't know how to make this work. My instinct wants to do this and I'm going to do it. Like, you know, uh, it, uh, asking advice is, is I, 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 of course I'm, I'm generalizing. There are certain things you just got to, you got to get second opinions on, right. Or third opinions yeah. on, but a lot of it. People want to know, tell me who I am. You know right. what I mean? Tell me who I am. And, and no one, obviously no one can do that. And it's actually destructive to your, you, your, what you have to give to, to, to the business. Right. Um, if you, if you try to fit yourself into squares or circles, that was, I took way too much advice. I think it's why I was in college until I was fucking 25, 26 years old. Seriously, I was like, mm. um, there was a sense that, you know, 
you know, my, my parents were really, were really nervous about me being an actor. So, you know, you know, a master's degree would really help you have something to follow. Yeah, I think right. that's probably right. So I, I think mm-hmm. I look back right. and I, there were things that I did that were done out of, oh, that's the thing I should do. Mm-hmm. When at a deeper level, it's sort of like, I think I know what I want to do, man. Um, yeah. I, you know, so. That's so good. I've never so good. directly tied the feedback loop of stage actor to director before. But we are kind of taught at a young age that like I'm gonna do a good performance, and then my director is gonna tell me it was a good performance, and then it's a good performance. One hundred percent. It's like, it's like no, it's follow your own path. Completely agree. One hundred percent. There are so many people we have to ask permission from before we can get the job, before we can excel mm-hmm. in the job, um, and it's it's where's that moment where you kind of you know. Take a, take a second, say, what the, what do I, what do I want, man? I really do know what I like. I know what I think I'm good at. I know. Um, so, um, and it's advice on everything from, you know, you should really, uh, have you thought about, you know, getting a personal trainer? I think if you have, you know, it's everything Mm -hmm. like that, you know, Mm um, I don't have a personal trainer. I think I have just kind of a regular dad bod and I've been getting sort of like way more work, I think, because I'm just like (laughs) me as opposed to like, um, if I had taken everyone's advice and, you know, gotten myself all cut and chiseled, maybe I would have been a better Fiero, but, um, (laughs) maybe I wouldn't have gotten to play Freddie and Carl Hanratty and, and Kevin Rayburn. And do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly. And the the second part of what you said was like, there's that feedback loop and what you're, all you're doing is preventing yourself from what you could become. Totally. Because you're allowing what other people are saying to shift what you're going to become instead of just really. I don't know if that's true for everybody. I don't know if it's, but it was definitely true for me. I had a really tough dad, like a really, you know, intense, uh, uh, authoritarian sort of dad, ex-Marine. And so Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, I think it was wired in me to kind of, uh, for, for that kind of approval. And that mm. shit has to go. It has to go, man. You got to please yourself, um, with your work. I read this interview with Cher. She was like, I don't give a fuck what people say about me. She goes, I answer to three people, God, my mother and myself. And I was like, right on Cher. Right <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's Joe? awesome. That's awesome. So our, our last question we ask everybody is, what's your unreachable star? It's our unreachable star question. You've done so much in your career, so much in your life. Is there something you're pointed towards, something you'd want to accomplish? Mm. You haven't yet? No. I, I, I mean, the honest answer is, is no. Yes, and that something every, once a day comes up that I think I'd like to, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah. I think I'm ambitious for new experiences. I think I'm ambitious for, uh, and I'm curious to keep on learning how to do this, but I just simply, and I've tried to lie my way into this because I'm, it's just the truth. I have no dream role. I have no dream production. I have no dream actor to work with. I have no dream director. to. Work. I mean, it's just the truth. Um, because I think I've been doing this so long. I, I guess I say that because I've gotten my dream roles sometimes and some of them were just terrible experiences Mm -hmm. and I've tripped into things that like 
what? I don't know anything about this writer or this role or thing that were so uh, rewarding to me and changed my life. Accidents that just fell. Um, so for me, it's just better if I just kind of stay in a flow and, and um, like I said, keep, keep my instinct honed. So that means like when I read something or I get sides for an audition, right? It's like, try to let go of the, the fancy names that are on the list on the breakdown and try to let go of the money you think you could make and just look at that scene and those words. Um, and, um, and, and be honest, do they, does anything happen when I read it? Does like, yeah, right. am I laughing out loud? Am I going, Oh shit. Am I turning the pages like this? Am I, you know, what, right, what's right. happening literally in my body when I'm reading this stuff is nothing happening. And it's like a big whatever burger. That's all really important data. Do you know, in terms yeah. of, uh, it's the most important data, the most. Um, I, I say this a lot, like, I didn't know anything about Jason Robert Brown. I didn't know anything about the last five years. He had seen me in Rent. They were looking for somebody for this autobiographical musical. He had heard me sing um, at this, some songwriters convention or something. And uh, he wanted me to come in for Jamie. And he said, would you come over to my apartment? And he was like, I'll be honest with you, you're my first choice. I really, uh, you know, um, I wanted to, so we had a little work session on two, two or three of the songs. And I, I literally didn't know him. I was meeting for the, him for the first time. I'm in his Upper West Side apartment. And he plays me two songs from the show. He plays me um, the song that was before Shiksa Goddess that, that uh, um, uh, the, uh, the Irish Girl song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he played Nobody Needs to Know. And... <sighs> I, I think I had told you guys my my marriage was sort of falling apart. I was divorced not long after I did the last five years. Um, um, and I didn't even know this guy. And I asked him where his bathroom was uh, after he just, he just played me songs. And I went to his bathroom and I lost it. I just started to shake and to sob and like, get your shit together. What's happening? And that is gold. Right. That's gold. If you get something like that, you fucking pursue that as far as you can yeah. that first impulse is is i think so many actors get tripped up right um and then they start to intellectualize the closer you can stay in my experience to that first you know kinetic response to material um is your that's your guidepost you know that's your north star and you just keep going toward that because it's really all you have to hang on to. You might get in there and the director sucks and the other, the, your fellow actor is nuts and, right. you know, it closes early or Ben Brantley hates you or whatever, right. you know, if that yeah. initial thing is like, and it's rare. We, we, we get right. it like so, so few. Um, yeah, but when you, you do get something because yeah. the money's good, or you do something because the director's good, or because right. it's the next. And we have step. to do all those things, right? Yeah, we have right. to do yeah, all those of things, yeah. right. of course. Right. But but you but, also want to hang your hat on the work because if you can't, then if the rest of it goes away, then what do you have? Yeah, I I, I mean Dan and I we just did this workshop of of I think we can say that right? Should we not? 
we did a workshop of a thing of of a, of a, of a thing, thing of, of a, a movie thing. that's good. Yeah. yeah, they, they want to make a musical. I don't know if we yeah, can. yeah. Um, but yeah, well, we can say we just did a workshop, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Captain America the musical. Okay, there <laughs> you go. So awesome, super excited. Sounds amazing. <laughs> no, honestly, we can say it's a Golden Girls musical. Uh, yes. Dan and I are playing <laughs> mm -hmm. the, uh, the 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 couple next door. We're in the couple <laughs> next door for the ladies. Um, no. Um, uh, we just did this thing. And I felt that way about it, Dan. It was just like, um, you know, I don't know if this is ever going to turn into anything. I don't right. know if I'm not even right for this part, whatever. But like, there's a spirit here. There's a kernel here that I, I can get real energized about. Right. What this thing is trying to say, the sound of this thing, the, you know, I can, I can get behind this. Um, that's got to come from yourself. You can't come from anything, you know. Right. And that's what I was so struck by working with you. And I came right to, I called Joe right away. And I was just like, I, I couldn't believe how invested you were in the table read, the rushed table read, which was super <laughs> weird because people were was, coming and going in the middle of it. And like that, so first, weird. that yeah. first big monologue you had and people weren't really paying attention, but you kind of used all of that with, I was so affected by how kind of invested you were in the present of that. And I will take that with me. And I thank oh, you for that's that cool. because, you know, you've done so much and you've had all of these opportunities, oh, but then to be that invested sweet. in this thing that doesn't have, there was no money, there's no guarantees. I don't even know if it's good, you know? Yeah. Who knows if anything is good, right? Right, right. right. What is good? But you were so invested in those small things that it was such a good reminder and like, well, that's oh, what that's we're doing Oh, that's so here. sweet. Can you I know? go now? <laughs> Well, that's that's all the time that's we have. It. So that's oh, the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is the greatest. Um, I think that's the best end to a podcast. Oh, that's we, so sweet. So can far. I go now? <laughs> yeah. Can I go now? Can I go play outside? My Norbert, wife. Norbert, you can go play outside. Yeah. My wife always does that. Like we actually just finished this project together, and it was like this, the days were so long. And she always does this thing where she goes up to the director and she's like, um, excuse me, can I go home now? I have to eat. I have to have a sandwich. I need a sandwich. Can I go, can I go home? Like right when you're in the middle of like the 10 out of 12. Right. <laughs> can I take a nap? Oh my no, God. I want to go. So, um, uh, thank you. So thank you. Thank much. you for being here. Um, you guys are awesome. Mr. Butts is starring in, uh, NBC's debris and he has just nabbed a lead role in a new Disney plus series called better Nate than never. So, yeah. I just finished this film for Disney. Um, uh, the great Tim Fetter, Fetterly who yeah. wrote this hilarious, sweet book about this little this gay 13 year old kid who's obsessed with the theater and he's from this working class Pittsburgh house of which I play the father and my, and my wife plays my wife in the movie. Nice. So it was our first awesome. time. Like we work nice. together all the time on auditions and we've done readings together, but not since wicked have we like been in the same project. So we had so much fun. Um, I said, honey, That's so th cool. This is either going to be a blast or we're going to be divorced by New Year's. Or the so. end, right. <laughs> and it, it, it was the former, so we had the best time. Oh, my God. Well, that's amazing. Um, we can't awesome. wait to check that out. Can't um, wait. Super and cool. thank you so much for being here. Dude, thank my you pleasure. So you guys are awesome. Thank you for listening to Guys Who Like Musicals. 
We are now part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Woo! We are hosted by Dan Tracy. That's you. And Joe Carroll. That's me. We're produced by Ryan Kincaid, and Matthew Mucha is the social content manager. You can find us on Instagram at Guys Who Like Musicals, on Twitter at Musical Guys, or the old-fashioned way at www.guyswholikemusicals.com. If you'd like a chance to be featured on the Ask the Guys segment of our show, please call 203-900-7990 and leave a message with your question. As always, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.